Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harvin and I'm hyped today to be joined by someone I consider to be one of my good pals, J.J. Zacharyson, editor-in-chief of Number Fire and FanDuel, but more importantly, the host of the Late Round podcast. J.J., dude, what's going on? What's up, man? Uh, I am honored to be doing... Is this, is this your first show since uh, turning the big 3-0? Is, that, is this it? Yes, this is the first... Um, po- I recorded a bunch of Fearless Forecast videos uh, yeah. for, for Yahoo this morning, but this is my first like podcast. The fearless forecast videos will just be seen by like angry people that play our game and had never heard of me, but will see my Twitter handle and like tweet angry things at me, you know, th- that are when I'm wrong or whatever about Brandon Ayuk. So, uh, yeah, this is much more comfortable for yes. me here. I feel you. Well, I, I'm honored that I, I know that you purposely chose me to be the, yes. the first podcast guest of your, uh, in your thirties. So I appreciate that. And I thank you for that. Yeah, well, after Sigmund Bloom, Adam Levitan, Evan Silva, uh, Matthew Barry, everybody else said no. I figured you were might as well be a good sure. fallback option. Sure, yeah, I pr- appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> Anyways, we got some serious, serious business to talk about today on the show because we're going to get into player projections, which is a subject that I love to talk about. We might nerd out a little bit here, but we will also get into like some specific players teams that have really challenged us via our projections process uh but first we do have to cover some news Uh, most importantly the Colts season from hell absolutely continues I mean it was kind of a tough look to bank on Carson Wentz anyways like this is our plan right like our plan is we're just going to rehab Carson Wentz but that already went wrong obviously we know he has a foot injury now sort of one of the biggest keys to their ecosystem being the reason that Carson Wentz was going to have a bounce back season is now thrown into flux because Wynton Nelson is getting the same foot surgery or a foot surgery. He has the same weird and wild five to 12 week timetable, <laughs> which it's just absurd. Like five to 12 weeks. He didn't, I think Mike Vrabel Titans head coach even was like, yeah, that's ridiculous of a timetable. Anyways, he's out for five to 12 weeks, whatever that means. Um, ESPN's Chris Mortensen says the Colts are not considering trading for a backup like Foles, Minshew or Mariota. They're just going to go with what's in house. JJ. What the hell, dude? What what what's going on with the Colts? Uh, how are you reacting to this news? And I know you're a guy that was really in on Michael Pittman this year too as a potential breakout candidate. How much has this Wentz injury and now this subsequent Nelson injury news changed your forecast for this team? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it definitely is not a good thing that this is happening. I mean, especially the Quentin Nelson thing, uh, you know, regarding like a Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, it's just another bump down for Taylor because the offense in general just isn't going to be as efficient. Um, it's just crazy that that apparently these foot injuries are contagious, not just COVID around this this whole yeah. locker room. It's 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 crazy that it's the exact same injury, evidently. But you know, I, I would say this: the fact that they are reportedly not going after a Foles, a Mariota, a Gardner Minshew, which you know, I don't know if they would get a Gardner Minshew because it's in the division. Um, but, you know, regardless, the fact that they're not going after that, maybe they maybe they feel like this is going to be sort of on the earlier side of that timetable um, and be more of like a five to seven week injury, which in that case, you know, you were looking at Carson once being back then towards, you know, maybe like week two, week three, and it's not as big of a deal. I mean, I would say it's the, the, the biggest deal about this is that this is a new team. He needs to get on the same page with his receivers. And now he's not going to be there for the preseason and the rest of camp. Uh, so that's an issue for sure. Uh, but maybe they feel like they can get through these first couple of weeks 
um, you know, with, with, with an Easton under center. Um, and, you know, if they go 0-3, if they go 0-2, um, you know, hopefully Carson Wentz can come back and they can bounce back a little bit. First five weeks of the season are not easy either for uh, this Colts team. So uh, that's another thing to keep in mind that, you know, we can't just automatically give them a W if Carson Wentz were to be under center. Uh, you know, re- regarding the players on that team, you know, you and I both like Michael Pittman uh, as a player potential breakout this year. Um, I-, I think that this is one of those scenarios where, you know, I- I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant to probably draft Jonathan Taylor, but I was already a little bit hesitant to draft Jonathan Taylor where he was going be- just because of the receiving work that he uh, was projected to see in the offense. Uh, but with Michael Pittman, I mean, he was already, you know, like a fringe top 10 round guy. And then if yeah. he drops a lot and drops significantly, you know, we know that wide receiver talent can elevate in bad situations just in general, uh, more so than like a running back, let's say. Um, and so if, if he falls even further, then it's going to be a f- almost free dart throw to get a guy like Pittman, who checks a lot of boxes for me, at least uh, as a potential breakout this year. So I might still be drafting Michael Pittman as long as his ADP sort of drops uh, with the news of, of Nelson and, and Carson Wentz. Which you would assume it was, or at the very least, is not going to take that like potential jump up that it would have with like the hype building and yes. training camp or whatever, because that was start like those news items were starting to trickle in that oh he's having a great camp in addition to the fact that you like him, I like him as a player. So yeah, I think I'm with you in in that like he was already kind of in that range where I, I thought the biggest appealing part of his ADP was that the fact that Carson Wentz might just stink was sort of already priced in to yeah. that ADP. It was already baked in. And so, yeah, like maybe Jacob Eason stinks. Like, and, and they're just like, neither one of them is good, but the volume is still there. The role is still there and the ability is still there to the point that like, okay, so if you burn a 10th round pick, who cares, right? right. Like on Michael right. Pittman, it's not, you're, what are you really doing there anyways? He's still a guy that I'm drafting, probably just not aggressively. Like I, I did bump him down one tier just to reflect the fact that like, now he's not a guy that I'm like, I'm stamping every round, every like ninth or 10th round or something like that, that I want to keep hammering him in that range. There's obviously much more risk to it. So I think yeah. we're on the same page just on your Jonathan Taylor thoughts too. Cause I think I'm probably on the same page as you as well. Just in reaction to this news, I, I bumped him back to like the end of my second tier of running backs. Would you rather have a guy like, I don't know, Antonio Gibson or Joe Mixon ahead of Jonathan Taylor right now. I still think I'm leaning Taylor uh, only because, you know, the way that we, and of course we're going to be talking about projections and stuff, but the way that he projects out might not look as good as what his ceiling truly is. Uh, yes. Whereas some of these other guys, the guys that you mentioned, I'm, I'm high on. So it's a little bit difficult. You know, I, I love Antonio sure. Gibson. I love the yes. ceiling that he, he brings. I love the ceiling that Mixon could bring without Gio Bernard in that offense. Uh, but with Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, he was being projected the way he was being projected. And that was with the assumption that Naheem Hines was still seeing a lot of work in that backfield as a receiver. I mean, that's just yeah. how good Jonathan Taylor is. And the fact that he had an opportunity, a real opportunity, I think he still technically does to jump into the top tier of running backs this year if he sees, uh, you know, more receiving work. I just, um, I, I think that that this news, you have to bump him down a little bit, though. And I wouldn't fault anyone for drafting a Gibson or a Mixon over him at this point. Uh, but I, st- I think I'm still going to have Taylor over those guys, um, you know, entering the draft. Yeah, that's like exactly how I broke it down to myself this morning, too, is that I was really weighing, do I ding Taylor an entire tier and then put him behind Gibson? I, I was like, right. I'm still going to probably take Jonathan Taylor ahead of Joe Mixon. Like, there's plenty of risk there with Mixon, even if even if all things work out well. But yeah, Gibson was a tough one for me, man, because I was so excited about Washington. Know, like, uh, but yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, all right, let's just let's stay a little conservative for now and keep Jonathan Taylor there. So we're neither one of us, I guess, is freaking out about the Colts right now, but you're definitely pricing in some of the obvious negativity that all of this brings. Yeah. It's tough that like, I remember reading the story right before camp opened that they were very concerned. The Colts were about their vaccination rates. Like the, the fact that some of the leaders on their team, this was in the athletic. I think it was Zach Kiefer that that wrote the story, you know, that some of their team leaders were not vaccinated or whatever. And it's like, now now they have so many other things to be concerned about. It's uh, not, not a great time. Not a great time in Indy right now. Um, Not a great time for Joe judge. I don't know that there's any fantasy takeaways in this story, but I, I, this is an interesting offense to project. So maybe we can let this lead us into our projection discussion. Uh, Joe Judge is pissed. Actually, livid was the correct word. So um, I'm, I'm editorializing there with pissed. He was livid uh, that a big fight broke out at Giants camp today. And I mean, Daniel Jones at the bottom of the pile. 
made the team do a hundred yard sprint, a bunch of push-ups, which I love it. Love the love the energy there from old Joe Judge. <laughs> Probably a more important note, Kenny Galladay left practice with a leg injury. Not much is known beyond that, but where were you at with this Giants offense in general? Because I have a tough time not really lo- like I love the skill position talent theoretically. Mm-hmm. But, man, it's still Daniel Jones who has, like, an absurd amount of turnovers in his first two years. Yeah. Um, and Jason Garrett at the controls here. And apparently they're all fighting with each other and Joe Judge making him do push-ups. So uh, what's what's the deal with the Giants, JJ? Yeah, you know, when the, when the tweet came out about this fight, I, I quote-tweeted that original tweet. I can't remember who it was from, but uh, I quote-tweeted it and said that Daniel Jones just seems to always find a way to get sacks. You know, it's just, <laughs> this is just another... <laughs> Another instance of that happening. Highest sack rate in the league since he entered the, the NFL. Uh, fumbles all the time. The question, yeah, the question is, did he fumble at the bottom yeah, of this yeah, spot? Like, did, any, exactly. did anyone report Did anyone report on the potential uh, fumble situation at the bottom of this pile? Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's interesting. If you want to look at this from a half-glass full perspective with the Giants, uh, one of the things that you could look at is that uh, they're a positive regression candidate, which isn't really a thing. They're, they're regressing positively they're they're regressing back to a mean that's better than where they were last year uh from a touchdown standpoint where they didn't score many touchdowns last year they weren't very good at converting there which makes sense because you know they got off to a really really slow start daniel jones was banged up uh you know they didn't have saquon barkley i mean there's reasons why uh you know they weren't that strong offensively you know both of us like kenny galladay as a player and i think it's one of those situations where you know having a true x in that offense can really take that offense to the next level hypothetically and I'm sort of in the same boat as you, where I love all of these skill position players individually. And I think that they all fit together really, really well in that offense. Really well. It just comes down to Daniel Jones and, and how you feel about Daniel Jones and if you're bullish on him. Now, I sort of approach fantasy and approach this kind of stuff from the perspective of beating the market. And so if everyone's down on Daniel Jones, which I think everyone should be down on him, just generally speaking, just because we don't see big uh, leaps and bounds from these quarterbacks after we see a year or two of production from them. You know, Ryan Tannehill situations don't happen very often. Josh Allen's situations don't happen very often at all. And so we should be banking on Daniel Jones not being the answer, not being great. Um, with that being said, that's all priced into ADP. That's all, that's all right there. So you can, from a fantasy perspective, you can sort of angle this and say, well, I think that, you know, there's obviously a chance and people are giving him no chance. So maybe we should buy into this Giants offense at least a little bit. Um, so I don't necessarily mind doing that, um, but I'm pretty neutral on the offense in general because it's just really hard to buy into Daniel Jones right now. Yeah, and again, if this was Daniel Jones with a Brian Dayball, you know, that was going to be progressive about how they call plays, exactly, and, you know, a lot of lot of motion, play action, spread the field out, whatever. But like again, it's damn Jason Garrett, you know. Like my biggest problem with the Kadarius Tony pick, and I know you were out on this pick as well, was like not that I think Kadarius Tony is definitely not going to work out i think there's probably a better ch- also by the way n- talk about not good headlines with with old Kadarius tony there like a <laughs> lot of like, <laughs> not good not bad. good there not good there either but at the same time like in a theoretical world where he comes in like has a good off season and learns a receiver position and blah 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 it'd be great if it was like someone other than jason garrett carving up that role for him you know right again exactly. it, it just comes back to the garrett thing that really brings me the biggest pause but i do agree in that it was very profitable to be sort of ahead of the field with with Josh Allen last year. I do not think Daniel Jones is going to yeah. have a Josh Allen type of season. I'd almost give it like, like a 2% chance that happens, yeah. maybe even lower than that. But something sort of to the equivalent where he's probably not going to be like, you probably could have won your league just because you took Josh Allen or Stefan Diggs. I do not think they like they might outkick expectations, Daniel Jones, right. Kenny Galladay and all these guys, but I doubt there was like a league winning potential there uh, with this offense. Yeah. yeah. And I would say this, like, I think right now, like just if you look at projections and if you look at where these guys are going, you know, like Saquon, for instance, is still one of the few running backs in the NFL that is going to have that true workhorse workload. Um, and, and now he's, he's at this cost because of this injury that he's been dealing with. He's at this cost where it's even more attractive to go after him and get him. And then on top of that, people are fading him a little bit more because the offense that he's in, he's on the Giants, et cetera. Kenny Galladay's still in that spot where like there's the opportunity cost is still kind of significant because there are a lot of good wide receivers going around him. So I've been more attracted to just saying, I'm just going to get Sterling Shepard, who is good. And we know yes. is going, we know is going to play a pretty solidified role in that offense as long as we assume that Kadarius Tony continues down the path that he's going down right now, at least for his rookie season. I mean, 
my expectations for Tony weren't very high in general, but especially year one, because I thought there was going to be a little bit of a, a learning curve there. Um, and so when it comes to Sterling Shepard, we know that he can play the slot very, very well. Um, and if he's there a lot this year, given what they have a wide receiver, which he should be, uh, I think that there's a lot to be uh, gained there from a, from a value standpoint with Sterling Shepard. So I like Saquon at his, at his decreased price right now. And I really like Sterling Shepard as sort of a late round dart throw. Someone, especially like if you're going best ball or something, someone who is going to give you some production that you're getting late that a lot of people just don't see as a very sexy pick. I love Sterling Shepard. I mean, I've always loved Sterling Shepard, the player. So, like, let this be the year, like, for one. Yeah. So just the, honestly, he just needs to stay healthy. That's exactly. the biggest thing with him. Yeah. So, let's just, let's, uh, let's end on that positive note there, which I did not pay JJ to say that. So, uh, <laughs> we've mentioned projections a lot. So, let's just dive right in them. Um, before we get into sort of the specifics and, like, kind of get into, you know, players or teams or whatever, um, sort of give us, like, the elevator pitch for why you think doing, projections are so helpful and why you do them. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people have this idea that people who build projections and who are really good at them, and there are a lot of people in the industry who are very, very good at building projections and who are very, very precise with them. I think there's this idea that we're using projections as analysts to sort of be the foundation for all of our takes and all of our feelings about situations and players. I don't necessarily see it that way. I'm a super data-driven analyst, as you know, but I, I, I don't, view the projection building process as one uh, being sort of this foundational piece for all of my analysis. I view it more so as you're building them out and as you're looking at the team level stuff and the player level stuff, you're starting to understand situations better for these individual players. And that, that to me is the most helpful and most important piece of projection building. I mean, at the end, you're going to get a number and that number is going to say, this is how many fantasy points this guy's projected to score. Um, and, and sometimes you're going to be surprised by that number and sometimes you're not. Um, and that can that can also dictate, you know, how you might feel about a player. But but to me, it's the journey and the process of building the projection itself um, that, that will really allow you to grasp uh, the whole league a, a lot better as opposed to kind of looking at each of these individual players in a very micro way. Yeah, I think, too, as an analyst, it helps keep me honest, like mm-hmm. both on like the positive and negative side, because it's like, sure, I love Elijah Moore, the player, or even like Sterling Shepard, great example. Like I love Sterling Shepard, but how many targets can I really give him yeah. this year? And while also being realistic to the rest of the offense, other, you know, other times it's, you know, I might not like this player this much, but man, they project out really well. You know, when you, when you put them through just a basic, basic system there, like, I think that's probably the biggest thing is it keeps us within like certain boundaries. Uh, but at the same time, and I know you say this a lot, and I think this is important for other people to hear, you're not just going to take your projections and like be like, these are my rankings. No. You know, like, <laughs> like these yeah. are, no, no, that's bad. Like, because, and I think for me personally, it's, it's like a range of outcomes basically too, right? Like Jonathan Taylor was a great example that he might project out to be your RB 13 or something like that. If you just give, give him again, share of the team's rush attempts, share of the team's targets, whatever. But you know that there's a bigger ceiling there. So I don't know. I think that's a big, not only does it help keep us honest, it also just sort of like you don't just take your projections and then dole out your rankings that way because there's more subjectivity to it than that. Right, yeah. You're looking at, with, with a projection, you're looking at a median outcome, right? You're looking at what's the most likely thing to happen in this offense based on all of these inputs that you hopefully strategically and, and logically put together, right? And yeah. so a, a lot of times, you know, that, that median outcome uh, doesn't capture the true variance of a certain player. And especially when you get to the later rounds of your draft, you really should be only striving for, I would argue you should be striving for the higher end uh, of that variance regardless, right? And so, um, you know, whether you're in the, the early, middle, or late rounds, you should sort of always be looking at what uh, that ceiling for that player truly, truly is. Um, and, and being reasonable about that, right? Like, we're not saying yeah. like, you know, like like J.K. Dobbins, for instance, like we're not saying, oh, but what if J.K. Dobbins sees a 25% target share in the Ravens offense? <laughs> then he'll see enough targets as a receiver, uh, you yeah, know, to be, yeah, to be yeah. more viable. But, you know, we're not saying that. We're saying maybe like a 75th, 80th, 80th percentile outcome for these guys. If you can look at it from that perspective, uh, it can go a long way. And projections don't always capture that. And if you're in the later rounds, um, you know, like, again, a guy like Sterling Shepard, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that he's probably a better best ball pick than a, than a, than a regular season long type of pick. And the main reason for that is because you're guaranteeing production in some way from a guy like Sterling Shepard, 
but I know factually, well, I shouldn't say factually, but with a, with like 95% confidence that Sterling Shepard is not going to be a league winning player this year, right? right. Like the chance that right. that happens is very, very low. And so from that perspective, is he the best late round pick from a season long perspective? Maybe not, but I know that, that if I don't have to predict that weekly output, and I know that he's going to walk into 80 to 100 targets or more, he's a lot easier to, to draft in a best ball format just because that, that, that production is going to be there. So I would argue, like, it, it depends on the format too. Like if, if, if you're working with best ball and you're, and you're playing best ball, I think projections are actually a little bit more helpful than if you're not. Because in a yeah. best ball format, you're trying to find these like later round picks who are still going to give you some production and give you a handful of usable weeks. Whereas in a season long format where you actually have to pick who to start and find who those, those players who are seeing that volume really are, um, you know, you, you have to look at, at the higher ceiling a little bit more. Yeah. And best ball formats when like Tyrell Williams is going in the same range as guys like who might play a hundred snaps this year. Yeah. You know? right, right, <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, is there any real reason to draft Tyrell Williams in like a season long league? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, you could chase some weeks on the waiver wire, whatever, right. but Probably no real reason to do that. But in a best ball league, yeah, if you want to get like your your 17th round pick, if you want him to get like 700, 800 yards, sure. Yeah. Like I'm sure Tyrell Williams will have three or four top 24 weeks this year. But do you know yes. when those are going to happen? No, probably not. 0%. Yeah. 0% shot, I know when those weeks are going to be, <laughs> yeah. uh, right? Totally. And running back, I think, is an even better example because these like little pass catchers, you know, the J.D. McKissicks or the yeah. James Whites of the world probably project out a lot better than I don't know AJ Dillon or like Alexander yeah. Madison or something. But in what world are you going to draft JD McKissick over those guys? Hopefully right. not one that exists in this reality. Right. So the, right. yeah, it, yeah, that one helps a lot too with running backs. Yep, absolutely. All right, cool. So let's get into some. That's enough like big time nerd talk that you know maybe ten people care about. But I think is important like as a foundation for why. Projections are important. Why it's not the end all be all, even if you love doing and I I really do like enjoy the process every year. I'm yeah. probably not as like nitty gritty as some people out there. Definitely probably not even as much as yourself, but I do enjoy the process every year. And I think it teaches me a lot about the the league overall, like you mentioned, and specific teams and definitely about specific specific players. Let's get into some more specific situations. Who would you say are some teams that were really difficult for you to project? And I'll offer some as well if we don't like agree. Okay, so the one that popped my head first uh, with this was Jacksonville. And, you know, the main reason is I, I don't know if Urban Meyer is good. I don't know. If he's, <laughs> like, I, I don't like at, like at some point you have to take a step back. And, you know, of, of course, coach speak is coach speak. And, and the things that they're doing, you know, like the Travis Etienne stuff that, that you know, that was the big storyline, like in June and May, even. And they were like, oh, they're they're lining Travis Etienne up as a slot guy and they're going to line him about yeah. wide and and this and that. It's like. Why wouldn't they do that? Actually, like it's not a bad idea because we know that running back is not the most difficult position in the NFL. Not that I can do it, but that it's not the most difficult <laughs> position for these guys to translate and to play. So why not get him to be an all around great wide receiver as well um, and utilize uh, his versatility? So like that kind of stuff made sense. What didn't make as much sense is the fact that they drafted Travis Etienne in the first place in, the, in yeah, a rebuilding yeah, yeah. team and you're going after a running back. So like the actions that they've taken, even like signing Tim Tebow, like, what are you doing here? Right. And like the, the actions that they're taking, not the words that they're saying, those are the things that make me think that urban Meyer might, and that, that whole staff just might not be that sharp. Um, and so that's a little bit alarming and scary from a projection building standpoint, but from a projection building standpoint, they have decent pieces like, like Trevor Lawrence, obviously coming out as the best prospect since Andrew Luck. And we saw Andrew Luck have a really good rookie season uh, from a fantasy perspective, lots of volume. Uh, they have good wide receivers there or good enough wide receivers there and a good, a gr good group. Uh, and then the backfield is strong too. So you have these pieces for fantasy that could do something, but you know, there's this dissonance of what is this team even going to look like generally? Um, and then is their coaching staff even very good? So that just makes uh, them have, there's just a high variance profile in my opinion, from a projection standpoint. Yeah. That's all like, 
all of that are is really good points. Like, because I think that you don't, there, there's such an unknown here with Urban Meyer, even if like Daryl Bevel is a coordinator that I actually kind of think is underrated and yeah. can, can put together a pretty good offense. You just don't know how much, like Urban Meyer is clearly going to have his fingerprints all over the situation. I mean, they signed damn Tim, Tim Tebow, like you mentioned, right? Like that's, that's problematic. So there is that also, I think, getting the distribution right even like forget it from yeah. a team level standpoint True. the distribution between these jags players is really tough backfield obviously but among the pass catchers like what does this coaching staff like i think that one of the most like adp corrections that need to take place is like i think the jacksonville receivers have got to come closer together like yeah. the fact that marvin jones is i don't know barely like on the redraft radar but chart goes in like the seventh round doesn't really make sense to me because I think like from a projection standpoint, I had those guys a lot closer together yeah. um, because I think that just, I think the distribution could be pretty even between these three receivers. Like Chenault's probably fine where he's going at this point, but I, I definitely think the gap's got to close there between those two guys. And so again, like they're difficult from a team level and an individual player level. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. And it's, it's one of those situations, you know, I've done studies over the last uh, throughout July, I did studies on finding breakout wide receivers and running backs. And, for, for both the running back position and the wide receiver position, what I found was that if you're looking after round five, and you know I had my way of defining breakout player, which was essentially players who outperformed ADP expectation, which was derived from looking at a, a, a trend line from looking at ADP versus points scored. But regardless, guys who outperformed ADP expectation by 100 or more points that were drafted after round five, those were any, any breakout player at those positions. And so if you look at that, uh, we're actually pretty good at projecting which player, whether it's a wide receiver or a running back, is going to be the best player on their team when looking at a breakout. So at the running back position, this is what I dubbed the ambiguous RB1 theory, which is the worst name imaginable for any sort of theory <laughs> in fantasy football. But basically, like, in the middle, if you have... There's no hashtag on that one. There's no yeah, hashtag yeah, on no, that it's, one. it's not good. It's not good. Uh, but if you have, like, two middle round running backs, if you have a round six to, to round nine running back. Uh, and you have two of them on the same team. So a good example this season, Arizona. So it's Chase mm-hmm. Edmonds and James Conner. So often analysts like us sit there and go, oh, we'll just get the cheaper guy. We'll just get James Conner because he's going, you know, two or three rounds after Chase Edmonds. And it's just that that's a better value. Well, what I found was that it's astronomically better to go after the RB1 in that backfield. Their hit rate mm-hmm. is insanely good. And so, and I found the same thing for wide receivers, where if they're the wide receiver one being drafted from their team in those middle rounds, they generally have a much higher hit rate. So, you know, ADP is going to fluctuate. There's going to be situations like right now with like Denver with Cortland Sutton versus Jerry Judy. And, you know, I think Judy is going to end up being ahead of ahead of Sutton by a, a significant enough margin by the time like mid to late August hits. But, you know, this is one of those situations where like I'm being pulled in this direction of what history has told us, what the market has said with DJ Chark. And then, and the other, my, my, my brain is saying, you know, this is not the, the logical thing to do because all of these target shares should be projected a lot closer together than what their ADP is saying right now. So I'm with you. Like, I'm not into DJ Chark where he's being drafted. I would much rather get a Marvin Jones, but that's typically not the best process in these kinds of situations. Well, I love that because it's, again, sort of brings in a different way than what we're talking about with projections where like you have to check yourself like because I, I agree with you 100% like my brain is is saying like this should be a lot closer than it is but if history is also telling us this is right really the way things are going to go it's basically just like don't get too confident in your own ability yes. to be correct here so like yes. yeah if Chark falls to a certain point even though I'm not into him I might I might draft him or I might just not go like I'm not going to go ham on Marvin Jones or LaVisca Chenault it's just basically like there's enough ambiguity in this situation to be kind of open to anything happening um, and, and that's the only reason that I think like Chark might need to come down a little bit these other guys might need to go up a little bit the ADP gap does seem a little a little aggressive on it but again History would tell us that Chark is probably the guy that is going to break out here. I want to offer up one team that was definitely tough uh, for me to project. There's two that stand out to me right away. But number one, it's and I feel like I say this on every podcast. I'm sure my producer, Brett, is uh, rolling his eyes right now as I say this for the hundredth time. Guess what, Brett? It's going to happen like 15 more times before kickoff happens. 49ers are like the key, I think, to figuring out fantasy football in 2021. Yeah, because number one. A lot of good, exciting players. Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, 
hell yeah. Trey Sermon could be like a league winning running back. I feel like he might fall somewhere in this like ambiguous yeah. running back theory that you um, you know so aptly named there. <laughs> They've got an exciting rookie young quarterback, a coordinator that we all really like. But there's about like 15 different paths this yes. team could go down, right? Like when Trey Lance, when and if Trey Lance does take over, and like I don't need to hear about what Kyle Shannon says right now about when like, oh, it really surprised me. Uh, if he's the week one starter, because then he just gets to say like, well, I was pleasantly surprised when he's the week one starter, right? Like at some point, Trey Lance is going to play and that's going to change the entire distribution of this offense from like an overall volume perspective and potentially an individual uh, volume perspective. JJ, what the hell do we do with the 49ers this year? Yeah. And here's the crazy thing about that, because I love Trey Lance. I have Trey Lance everywhere. Like I want him to start. I think that he could break fantasy football in a similar way that we saw Lamar Jackson break fantasy football. But I, I will say this from a 2021 standpoint, you can make the argument, and this is going to sound insane, but you can make the argument that Jimmy Garoppolo is better for this offense than the, the skill players if you're ignoring quarterback from a fantasy perspective. If you're looking at wide receiver, tight end with George Kittle and the running backs there, you could easily make the argument that Jimmy Garoppolo is a better person for them to have under center for them to thrive. And yeah. the, main, the, the main reason I say that is you know when we're building these projections, you're looking at it from a top-down perspective usually, where you're building out you know team projections to get overall volume, and you're looking at pass to rush rates and all that kind of stuff, and then you get volume, and then you're divvying up that volume based on target share, rush share, etc. And so with the 49ers, number one, they're probably going to be a very run-heavy team, not only because that's what we've seen historically with this team with, with Shanahan, but also. Uh, They have the easiest schedule in the NFL when you're looking at team win totals and projecting out that way. The 49ers have a cakewalk schedule, especially the beginning of the season. Um, So that's one reason why we can be confident they're going to be fairly run heavy. But that's about the only place where I think you can be kind of confident when you're projecting this team. Uh, But when it comes to like, like I did a study earlier this offseason on rookie quarterbacks and how they affect their, their pass catchers on their team. We rarely, actually, we have not over the last decade seen a rookie quarterback play more than half of his team snaps. There's been like 29 of them and have multiple players on his team, multiple pass catchers on his team be relevant in fantasy football. The only one that's come close is Andrew Luck. Um, and that was, that was off of insane volume, right? That was just crazy, crazy volume that we know we're not going to see uh, in San Francisco. So that's a little bit scary. And then on top yep. of that, I did a study on looking at mobile quarterbacks and mobile quarterbacks usually don't have as good of numbers for their receivers as well, and their running backs, actually, because a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're gobbling up all of those fantasy points and all of that, all those yards and, and touchdowns, et cetera, for themselves. And a lot of times, those teams are naturally a little bit more run-heavy, and so there's not as much volume to go around for these pass catchers. And so my take on this has generally been, if you like George Kittle this year, you shouldn't like Brandon Ayuk this year. If you like Brandon Ayuk this year, then you should probably be a little bit down on George Kittle this year. I'm not saying that Kittle would be irrelevant if Brandon Ayuk becomes a true wide receiver two plus uh, from a fantasy perspective, but I do think that that you should not be drafting Kittle at ADP if you're drafting Brandon Ayuk at ADP. And so I agree with you from a projection standpoint. It's a very very difficult team to project. So the way that I'm sort of sort of approaching this is that we know Jimmy Garoppolo is not the best quarterback in the world, so we know that it's unlikely that we're going to see like three, four studs coming from this offense and Jimmy G's under center. So we should make the assumption that the quarterback situation won't be unreal for fantasy this year. I think that Trey Lance is an incredible future, really bright future, and he could dominate next year and beyond. It's just that what we've seen historically from rookie quarterbacks, um, and he's a little bit of a raw prospect. I mean, let's be real. Oh, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a big sample size with Trey Lance. He's fun and I love him. And I want, I want him to start just to get that, get him and have, start Trey Lance and just capture, <laughs> yeah. capture all of that with San Francisco. But I just want to be realistic and, and see that no matter who's under center, I don't think it's the most like advantageous offense, despite how good those skill position players are. Like I love George Kittle, obviously. Brandon Ayuk had an unbelievable rookie season and he's a star in the making. Debo Samuel's so good. I mean, they have these players. And it's just one of those things where you have this divide between how you're viewing them uh, as, as from a skill perspective and talent perspective versus what literally every number is sort of like screaming at you and saying. And it's saying that this is not an offense that is likely to produce, you know, multiple stars from a fantasy perspective. Yes. And uh, by the way, I have a Discord channel. And if you'd think that that exact 
Trey Lance, like rookie quarterback, uh, like podcast of yours has not been thrown in this disc. Have you heard this? Have you heard? This? <laughs> yes, pals. I'm aware of who JJ Zachary is. I've heard, I've read the read the, the stories, the heard the podcasts. I know, I know. But you know, so, so your name has been brought up in the Discord several Good. times about Brandon Ayuk specifically, yes. and I am ahead of consensus on Ayuk this year, which is tough to reflect in ranking. And this is oh, let me like I would love to rail on rankings here for uh, you know. Oh my god, hours, I could do that but, for four hours. Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact, uh, 2020 champ, shout out to me. Uh, <laughs> officially defeated rankings forever. <laughs> we don't do them anymore. They're dead in the industry because I've I vanquished them, but. It's tough to reflect in rankings like to be because can you realistically rank George Kittle as like tight end five? No. Like in what in what world would you want to present to somebody here are my tight end rankings? I've got TJ Hawkinson and Mark Andrews or Kyle Pitts ahead right. of George Kittle. That doesn't you just wouldn't. That's, that's silly, right? It's silly. It's, silly. it's but it's but it's very easy to reflect like I want you to draft. Brandon Ayuk because I've got him at like wide receiver 21 or something like that or 20 which is at least a few spots ahead of his positional ADP it's easy to reflect one thing not so easy to reflect the other even if that's like inherently though if you've got Kittle at three and Waller at two you're kind of trying to communicate that but yeah in no way do in no way can both of these guys really hit their ADP um, or way out kick it to the point that it was great to draft them Right, right. But it's okay. It's okay to have your rankings reflect something that is is almost a lock to not be reality because you're playing probability in some way, yeah. right? You're not necessarily saying that George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk are going to outperform ADP expectation. You're just saying, this is what's going on. You know, like, like I'm open to the fact that you know, yeah, we love Brandon Ayuk. We think Brandon Ayuk is really good. You, you like him more than I do probably from a fantasy perspective this season but you're still open to the fact that there's a very real possibility that George Kittle is gobbling up this like 28% target share in the offense. And yes. Brandon, Brandon Ayuk ends up seeing a 21%. And if it's a 21% target share, it's highly unlikely that he's going to be like this true plug and play. He's probably going to be more of a wide receiver three than a wide receiver two plus, right? Yep. A lot of variance so, there. Yeah. And so like you're open to that, but it can still, that doesn't necessarily have to be reflected so precisely in rankings, which is again, another reason why the rankings piece is so difficult because it doesn't give you that context, doesn't give you that nuance. It's really kind of annoying from that perspective, but I still think it's okay. The one thing I would say is that hopefully, like if you're looking at like, for instance, my overall rankings, like there's a, I've gotten people hit me up and they're like, why is there such a massive gap between Darren Waller and George Kittle? Because I have Waller significantly ahead of Kittle in my overall rankings. And it's because you know, I'm weighing this idea that Trey Lance starts a lot this season. And, and the fact that if that's the case, and I like Brandon Ayuk, and I think I think I have Brandon Ayuk basically like at ADP, maybe like one spot lower or something like that. It's not anything significant. Sure. And so if I'm expecting Ayuk to be decent, then it's harder for me to expect George Kittle to be decent outside of the context of just the tight end position. And so that I think is where you can at least play with that a little bit. But yeah, this is just an example of why rankings are kind of trash. <laughs> Yeah, but don't say nice things about overall rankings because they don't make me do overall rankings. Like, <laughs> so don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> but it is funny too. I mean, as much as I love, I and again, to people who are like, it's all my, it's all my initial rankings. Like, wait, Ayuk is only twenty one. I'm like, listen, that is being conservative. Like that, that or that is right. no, that is being aggressive. That That's is me, aggressive. that is me yeah. putting, yeah, that is me putting some optimism on it. But you know, you can't like rank him ahead of some of these guys that are that are going ahead of him because it just right. doesn't. It's just not going to happen. Like, as Plus, much you, as have, you, have, you have other sons that are being drafted in front of him oh, as buddy, well. Tell me, you yeah. know, like a, you got like a Tyler Lockett right there, where you're like, I can't oh, yeah. put, I'm not putting Ayuk over a Tyler Lockett. You know, I've got a, I mean, I've got Lockett really high, so yeah, me too. <laughs> we've, me already, too. we've already, we've already taken care of that, and maybe that, that's how we can kind of transition to this, to this next part. But before we do that, we went this whole conversation. I don't think I heard you mention Debo Samuel at all. Like, are you just out on on Debo at this point? Yeah, you know, I was kind of in on him in like May and then I did that study and I was like, what am I doing? You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. like there's a lot of players where, and I think it's fine. You know, like I, I have takes in May and June that end up not being the takes that I really feel are strong in July and August. And I think that's fine. And Debo is one of the, I mean, I wasn't like high on Debo, but I drafted Debo in places. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that he's fine. He'll see work. I just don't think it's going to be very projectable. And, and I, I see Ayuk as a true potential like alpha in the league. 
Um, and, and if that hits year two, great. I, I think that just given what we talked about, the quarterback situation and stuff and the tough, rookie quarterback, yeah. just a little bit tougher to just bank on that. You know, year three for him could be amazing. Um, but I just don't think Debo's that. I mean, look at how they utilized him last year too. I mean, he's, he, he has his spot in this offense and he works very well in this offense and they utilize him properly in this offense. Um, but I just, you know, he's not someone that I'm like actively and aggressively going after. Yeah, our mutual friend, uh, Rich Rebar, does a great piece every year where he talks about, like, all targets are not created equal. It's on yeah. Sharp Football. You should go check that out if you haven't. That's a great example of, like, even if Ayuk and Samuel have the same target share or something pretty close, you know one of those guys is getting much more valuable targets right. than the other. So we'll leave it at that. Last thing here we'll hit on, just some guys that you were higher or lower on than expected based on your projections. Again, I'll offer up some uh, as well, but let's start. Let's be negative. We'll end on a positive note. So let's start off negativity in this section. Who are some guys that you were lower on than consensus uh, after you went through projections? I know uh, Brett stalked your work and pulled a few here, but uh, you can go a different direction as well. Yeah. So, you know, one of them first was David Montgomery, but that's, that's one of those guys where in May I was pretty low on Montgomery versus consensus. And now I'm actually, I might be higher because of all the Tariq Cohen news and stuff. And the fact that that Cohen uh, seems to be not in great shape right now after that ACL tear. And that was a huge, huge reason for, for David Montgomery's boost last season that he's on the field more. He's seeing a lot more work through the air. And so a guy like Montgomery, he was someone that I, that my projections didn't like that much, but now they're totally cool with, um, and I'm cool with drafting him. One guy uh, who, again, it's one of those things where I love the player. I think he's very talented, uh, but I worry about uh, just the situation that he's in. That's J.K. Dobbins. You know, Dobbins is someone who could realistically, you know, have, like an outside chance of like leading the league in rushing if things hit the right way um, because sure, of the, yeah. the, the efficiency in that offense. You know, Baltimore's been top three in running back rushes over a lot since Lamar Jackson took over. They've been number one in yards per carry at the running back position. So we know that efficiency and volume is going to be there on the ground. It's just what's going to happen through the air. Um, and I, I know that, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about utilizing J.K. Dobbins more through the air. Um, and they did things this offseason that suggested that they want to throw the ball a little bit more. But I think that we had to pull it back a little bit. And, you know, like, like after they drafted Rashad Bateman, who I love, I mean, I love Rashad Bateman, the player. Uh, I just did not love the landing spot because you know, obviously they've been a run heavy team and, and people would come at me and be like, well, <clears throat> what if they're going to be more pass heavy because they're making all these moves to, to get more pass catchers on their team? And I'm just like, yeah, they're probably going to be more pass heavy, but being more pass heavy from where the Ravens were is still a very run heavy team. And the difference between a guy like Bateman, uh, who, you know, is getting bumped down because of the situation versus like AJ Brown a couple of years ago when he got drafted to a Marcus Mariota team is that we know Lamar Jackson is going to be the starter in that Baltimore offense. Whereas we didn't know that necessarily with Marcus Mariota. And so we know that there's this like locked in, you know, pass to rush rate uh, that's going to be very low in this, in this Ravens offense because of Lamar Jackson. And so it's just really hard to buy into Dobbins. I mean, Dobbins ADP has dropped, you know, since like earlier in the season when the DGENs were drafting a whole lot, you know, like right after the Super Bowl and stuff where Dobbins was like this like late second round pick. And, um, yeah. you know, now now he's in a more reasonable spot, but he's someone that definitely jumped out as my projections not really loving him. And then I do want to make note, uh, this is another example of like not really capturing the variance of a player. Uh, Javante Williams. So I love Javante Tough Williams. Man. Yeah, I, I love Javante Williams as a player. And I think that he's a great, great target this season in fantasy drafts, like, you know, where, where he's being selected because the ceiling is there, but that's not going to be reflected very positively and very well in a projection, because we know that in a projection, Melvin Gordon is still going to see a decent sized workload. Whereas, you know, we could see a scenario where Melvin Gordon is the one a to start the season. And then all of a sudden towards the second half of the season, Javante Williams is the lead back. Right. And so there's these scenarios where you're not going to capture everything uh, with these guys. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing with, with uh, you know, Javante Williams in my projections. But I do think that his ceiling is high enough that he, it, it warrants, uh, you know, a draft selection this season. And, and I feel like your bookend guys there, Montgomery and Williams, are sort of narrative and sort of the hive mind of things. And almost sometimes like our, expect, our expectations of things can lead to ADP fluctuating and like lead like for example the montgomery thing you know 
how many times have you heard over the course of this offseason, well, David Montgomery, you want to fade him this year because he's not going to finish his running back four like he did last year. Well, it's like, well, no kidding, right? right. Like that's why that's why he's like a fifth round, fourth round pick. Right, like nobody's right. nobody is taking him in right. that range. Like you have to almost forget about what happened last year and just look at it coming into this year. Right. Um, so I think I was I was basically like preparing to take the same journey as you, where it's totally out on him. But now, like, yeah, it might be ahead of consensus on him because I still think he's getting dinged for almost like he's like getting dinged for finishing so well last year, right? Yeah, like in in that in that sort of way. And then with Javante Williams, it's it's like we already at some points have priced in at least in like sharper drafts or whatever had priced in like the idea that, Oh, he's going to usurp Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon could be like a cut candidate, but now it's like the tenor out of Denver is well, Melvin Gordon might legit be the starter. It's one of those situations where like, think about a guy like Nick Chubb a few years ago, you know, he got aggressively priced up in ADP as a rookie to the point that if you had him the first few weeks when Carlos Hyde was doing his thing, you hated it. But then if exactly. you had him by the end of the year, you loved it. You know, yep. I think Williams could be sort of, and that is really hard. That is really, really hard to capture in like an accuracy of your rankings or in your projections or anything like that. Because even if you're not the guy who drafted Nick Chubb or Javante Williams, you could be the one that reaped the benefit if you'd like just waited long enough and traded for him or picked him up off waivers or something. Right, exactly. And how do you give advice off a numbered list like that? I mean, give me a break. All right, so who are some guys you were higher on than expected after you went through your projections? Yeah, you know, uh, we already mentioned Tyler Lockett. Uh, I love Tyler Lockett this year. I, I you know, I, I think a lot of people aren't drafting. I know a lot of people aren't drafting him for this, like, perceived consistency thing. And, and look, it's true. Last season, especially, he was not consistent. But don't overrate what consistency actually means. You know, in the end, there's been a lot of studies that show that consistency doesn't really matter uh, because you are still getting those spiked weeks anyway. You know, Tyler Lockett against Arizona literally won you that week, right? Like, like there's you, you can't just dismiss that because it happened in one week. You still scored those fantasy yeah. points. Um, and so you're getting a guy who's a polished route runner, uh, one of the most underrated route runners in the league, probably, who is going to see a 23%, 22% at least target share in a Russell Wilson led offense, you're going to get them in the fourth round. I mean, all day. I'll take that, yeah. take, take that all day long. And then you also, and, and Seattle's another situation where, uh, you know, you have a new offensive coordinator where the assumptions being made that they're going to still be run heavy, but uh, Shane Waldron with, with the Rams, I mean, for, for what it's worth, the Rams overall had a pretty low pass rate when he was there, uh, but in neutral game scripts, they were actually pretty pass heavy. And so what if we see that translate a little bit for Seattle as well? Uh, and then them letting Russ cook more than, than what we saw during the second half of last year. Uh, so I like Tyler Lockett. And then another player uh, who my projections seem to like uh, a lot more than, than I kind of do subjectively is Adam Thielen. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, historically, what we would see from the fantasy community is uh, them not baking in regression enough uh, into, you know, next season uh, numbers. Like, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when Ryan Tannehill broke out he, when he started for, for Tennessee, um, you know, the following season last year, people weren't really, you know, he was a QB two when he was starting for Tennessee. And then last season, people really didn't uh, draft him close to that, even, even remotely close to that. And it was surprising. It was, a, it was a sign that people were getting sharper, right? And so with Adam Thielen, uh, it's a situation where he is going to regress in the touchdown column. There's no doubt about it. But even still, with that regression, he doesn't come out looking all that bad. Uh, but I'm still not aggressively targeting him uh, just because it's kind of hard when, you know, he's 30 years old and, uh, you know, you don't know what that, you have Justin Jefferson, who's definitely going to see a jump in target share this season because he's a stud. Um, and so, that, you know, there's reasons why I'm not totally optimistic with Adam Thielen, but my projections still liked him. And then the last one that I'll call out uh, is Brandon Cooks, who just produces year in and year out. And I know that he's in this horrific situation uh, <laughs> that, that you want no part of. Uh, but at the same time, he is the, the clear wide receiver one on that team. And, and, you know, realistically, he could see a 25% target share in that offense and no one would blink. Um, and so as a result of that, you know, my, I think my projections had him at like wide receiver 29 or something like that. And he's being drafted closer to like wide receiver 45. So, you know, I, I think Brandon Cooks is a really, really big value right now. 
Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned Brandon Cooks because he is like the perfect example of your projections are going to absolutely love him more than where you're going to rank him. Right. Because he's probably going to outkick that that ranking just because of the targets that you mentioned. I am so fascinated to see Brandon Cooks this year, especially like as he hasn't really been an alpha wide receiver in a while. He's clearly the alpha yeah. there. And he's going from like quarterback heaven, quarterback <laughs> yeah. paradise over his career yeah. to like the absolute stone worst <laughs> yeah, situation he could possibly be in. But uh, no, I love that you mentioned Tyler Lockett too, because like my analysis with him has basically been, yeah, like from a consistency angle, was it a bummer that he wasn't more consistent over the course of the year? Sure, I, I guess, even though, like you said, he won you those weeks at different times and like no one player truly loses you a week. And also like, unless you can project him for less volume this year because he was inconsistent last year, it just really doesn't matter for coming right. into this year. And like, how, how is he going to lose any targets? Like old Dwayne Eskridge is going to come in there and, and right. like take his job. That's not going to happen. You know, is Gerald Everett going to nip at his heels a little bit? I doubt it. So yeah, I think we are like those three guys, all really good call outs is like a mix of just big boring veterans that people get a, uh, you know, under, under excited about at this time of year. Those are good. Those are good ones to call out for sure. All right, JJ, I appreciate the time. I appreciate you uh, mentioning guys like Tyler Lockett, Sterling Shepard, uh, <laughs> all these like guys I, I want to be higher than consensus on. So this was basically just one big confirmation bias uh, excitement parade here for me. That was great. But more importantly for the people out there, uh, what are you working on the rest of August as we ramp up into the season that they can get excited about? Yeah, man, uh, I'll be I'll be publishing my shows uh, on the Late Round podcast, uh, which you can find anywhere podcasts can be found. Uh, and so I'll be doing those twice a week as I do in the off season, and then once the season hits, I'll be doing it four times a week. So that's really what my focus has been on. Boom! Yeah, it's a great show. It's super quick, informative. JJ is like the master, literally, at like pa- packing a ton of information into a quick hitting podcast. I could not recommend it enough, and I will not recommend many fantasy podcasts to you. There's a t- <laughs> so you. That, there you go. That is a that is a good one. What I will recommend though is while you're waiting on those bite sized uh, segments from JJ, there you go. Check out our other non fantasy podcast offerings here at Yahoo Sports. Charles Robinson is bringing our NFL podcast back. It's now you pod to win the game. You have to check that out. You have to say the title like that. Those are the rules. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. That's at late round QB. Check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. Dalton Del Don will be back with another episode tomorrow. Until then, we're out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.